This is The Space Shot, episode 198 for November 28, 2017. Space Lab 1, Mariner 4, and a Pulsar. Hey everyone, welcome to The Space Shot, your daily space history, pop culture, and news fix. I'm John Molnix. On November 28, 1983, the Space Shuttle Columbia launched on STS-9, the first Space Lab mission. Space Lab was a science module that could be carried in the payload bay on space shuttles, greatly expanding the pressurized interior of the orbiter so it could be used for more science experiments. In addition to the pressurized module where the payload specialists performed work during missions, there were also unpressurized pallets that could be flown in the payload bay, and they carried everything from antennas to telescopes. Space Lab was the orbiting laboratory in space that helped pave the way for the science that's now conducted on the International Space Station. The European Space Research Organization, now ESA, worked with NASA to develop a space lab for the shuttle. In exchange for these space laboratories, they were able to fly ESA astronauts on board the shuttle, which was a pretty cool trade. According to NASA, hundreds of investigations were completed over the life of the program, leaving behind a scientific legacy that's touched fields from astronomy to telemedicine. I'm linking to that article on Space Lab in the show notes. STS-9 was also the last flight of American astronaut John Young. Young had an incredible career as an astronaut, piloting the Gemini spacecraft, the Apollo Command Service Module, the Apollo Lunar Module, and finally the Space Shuttle Columbia on two missions. Young spent just under 35 days in space across six missions, Gemini 3 and 10, Apollo 10 and 16, STS-1, and finally 9. Young walked on the moon during Apollo 16, becoming the ninth person to achieve this milestone. His story is incredible, and I'm looking at the schedule now to see when I can fit an episode in specifically on his flights and story. STS-9 was Young's second longest mission, with Apollo 16 clocking in at 11 days, 1 hour, versus the 10 days, 7 hours on this last shuttle flight. The shuttle Columbia also carried the first ESA astronaut into space. Ulf Merbold was the first West German to fly into space, and the first person not to be a United States citizen to go into space on board an American spacecraft. Now we're going to go back a couple decades. On this day in 1964, Mariner 4 launched towards Mars to perform the first flyby of the planet. It returned pictures of the Martian surface and carried other instruments to study the planet and the space around Mars. The Mariner missions were important because they represented the first times that humans could study the geology of other planets. I'm linking to a Caltech article in the show notes that talks about the Mariner 4 launch and flyby. These early missions were launched just years after NASA was founded and depended in large part on the experience of the teams at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and Caltech. Even today, the people at Caltech and JPL are essential to the exploration of our solar system. Current missions like Juno and future ones like the proposed Europa Clipper will depend on the expertise of the teams at JPL. 
I have one final piece of space history for today. On November 28, 1967, the first radio pulsar was discovered by Jocelyn Bell Burnell and Anthony Hewish. Pulsars are rapidly rotating neutron stars that emit a beam of electromagnetic radiation, kind of like a giant cosmic lighthouse. Neutron stars have some crazy properties themselves, even though they're just a few miles across, between 6 and 10 miles, and that can vary, their mass is multiple times higher than our sun. Where I'm living right now in Pierce, South Dakota, a neutron star would easily cover the city and surrounding land, as well as parts of the Missouri River, and it would weigh way more than our sun. To appreciate just how dense those stars are, if you took a teaspoon of a neutron star, that would weigh about 10 million tons, which, funny enough, is roughly how much wheat is produced in Kansas each year. In any case, this wasn't something they were expecting to find. Even though the pulsar was exhibiting a constant pulse, Burnell and Hewish didn't believe that they had seen the electromagnetic emissions of another civilization in the cosmos, but they did jokingly name the pulsar LGM-1 for Little Green Men. After this initial discovery, astronomers have found other types of pulsars, with each type even more exotic and bizarre than the previous. I'm linking to a video in the show notes by Fraser Kane about what is a pulsar, and if you'd like to find out more about this interesting phenomena, you should check it out. Since you're here, why don't you let me know what you think of the podcast by leaving a review on iTunes. It takes just a minute to do that, and it makes a huge difference because it helps even more people find the show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the daily episodes. As always, the show notes have more information on today's episode. You can hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at John Mulnix. I'm always up to chat. You can also connect with me on Facebook. Just search The Space Shot or click the link in the show notes. Tomorrow, Enos and the Mercury Atlas V. I'm John Mulnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.